This episode of Writing Excuses is brought to you by Audible. Visit audiblepodcast.com slash excuse to start your free trial membership. This is Writing Excuses, Season 6, Episode 9, Microcasting! 15 minutes long! Because you're in a hurry? And we're not that smart. I'm Brandon. I'm Dan. I'm Mary. And I'm Howard. All right, let's get to it. We will have some more Twitter questions, so we're just going to dive in and um, hope that we surface. All right, so um, Randy Taylor, that name sounds familiar. Mm. How do you hold the whole story in your head when it's a thousand pages long? <laughs> um, By being uh, smarter than you are, Randy yeah. Taylor. This is uh, what outlines are for. Apparently, <laughs> apparently, my brother is not as smart as me. Um, yeah, you, you don't hold the whole thing in your head. Uh, you hold, at, at any given time, when I'm working on a story, I will hold one entire piece of the story in my head, you know, like one character's arc, but the moment I start writing another character, I have to go back to the outline and make sure that I've got those pieces there. I mean, I have notes. Speaking as the resident discovery writer, my favorite thing about writing is that I can't hold it all in my head. I know what some of the cool scenes are going to be, and I know overall what the plot's going to be, because I do outline, but then... You know, I fill in the rest of the details as I go, and I'm always pleasantly surprised to see what is in my book that I didn't know was going to be there. This is why practicing and gaining skill as a writer through practice is more important in many ways than preparing for years and years and writing the perfect book. Mm -hmm. That may be the most valuable thing you hear all day, (laughs) (laughs) or at least in the next 15 minutes. Okay. Mary, we've answered this one a lot, so I'm going to throw this one at you. Uh-huh. It may be too big, but okay. try and give us just a, a, a few tips on it. What steps do you use when creating a character? Are they, or are they part of the story and created by the story? Uh, both. Um, I look at the story. It, it depends on where I'm starting. But we'll say that I'm starting from a gee whiz idea, mm-hmm. which is, uh, you know, cats can fly. And I look at who can be hurt most by flying cats. <laughs> Anyone underneath them. <laughs> right. Man, you thought bird droppings were a problem. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Cats um, flying over your head with five sharp ends. Mm. But, um, but I look at, at who can be hurt most, and then I start looking at... <laughs> so that would be, in this case, Howard, because he has no hair. Right. Yeah. And then I start working backwards. It's like, well, why does he have no hair? And who are his parents? How does the ha- no hair affect him? So once I kind of figure out, like, loosely the, um, the, the character class of person, then I start figuring out their details based on what will support the story most. And one of the other things that I also do um, is that I'll jot down a couple of different ideas and generally discard the first three because someone else has already come up with those. Right. Okay. Um, I like that. It's a great answer. Um, it is kind of what we've talked about before, but with your own take on it. Really, we do a lot of um, both. You come mm-hmm. up with a character, and then the story changes the character, and then the character changes the story. It's just a process. Once again, learn how to write, practice writing, and you will start to see how this works. We were also pleased that your answer involved making fun of Howard. Yeah. That, that's why you fit that in good. so well. <laughs> that was good. Uh, pointer, um, going for the bald. Mm-hmm. is actually one of the first three ideas that you should discard. Go for <laughs> oh, the pants. Burn. That's a running no, no, gag. Pants is right. now number two. You've got to discard those. We, yeah, we've yeah, pants, is, pants is the running gag, though. It's, you, you're, you're allowed right. to go back to the well. You're right. and, and flying cats are not going to interact with pants. Maybe it would... Because <laughs> over your head. 
Okay. okay. Well, you know, Howard we is old. To... He does wear his pants up pretty high. <laughs> Next he question. <laughs> um, this one's uh, for outliners, so I'm just going to tackle it. Um, for, as an outliner, when do you put in the detail? How many passes do you spend um, filling in, removing detail? Um, I am an outliner, and like many outliners, not all, but many, um, I do really fast first drafts which isn't necessarily intuitive to people. People would assume that the people who are discover writing go through very quickly. Um, there are some that do, but I've found a lot of discovery writers spend a lot of time exploring and looking at this and looking at that and trying out different things and then rewinding. I sit down and I write and I barrel through a story, first draft, um, according to my outline. And um, for me, I usually leave out about, oh, half the detail that needs to be put in. I really do a polishing draft. I need a strong polishing draft. Um, my third draft is usually what that is. And that is to get the line-by-line -line detail, the shows versus tells, the making sure I've got good descriptive detail, and all the little things um, I spent a lot of time on. Um, and it was one of the reasons why it took me so long to get published is because I wasn't doing that in my early books. I, I'm similar in that I wait to do a lot of the detail till later. I'm also an outliner. Um, but one of the reasons I wait on the detail till later, I mean, I'll put in some, but part of the right. reason is because it affects pacing so much. Right, it does. And I find that I have a better idea of where I need to drop in detail and, and when if I wait and can see the whole picture. We had a, an outlining session uh, at my uh, writer's group um, where we were going through the first two acts of the current, uh, the current schlock story, um, Force Multiplication. Went through the first two acts to determine you know, what we're going to do next. Um, and uh, sorry, uh, I just realized that Dan is trying to use my uh, iPad keyboard and it won't work because it's Dvorak and you will just be completely lost. Oh, that would so, be awesome. That would be awesome <laughs> be to, watch. to watch. Oh, there's, there's, a, there's there. a writing Push. prompt for us. There, there's okay. a, I, actually, the writing prompt that I thought was intercontinental ballistic hairball, but, uh, <laughs> um, but coming, back to, coming back to what I was saying about this, which is uh, uh, running a little long now already, is that uh, people were, you know, as we were outlining things and looking at the callbacks and the things that we needed to have happen, um, somebody asked, you know, Howard, are you comfortable with this level of detail as we're getting into the, the action sequences because it's all pretty complicated? And Sandra, uh, Sandra kind of butted in and said, hey, you know what, it's just fine. I've seen how these outlines go. Right up until the point that he writes the script, the outline just says action, 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 action for five days um, <laughs> <laughs> because we don't know what's going to happen until we start writing those details. Um, all the all the framing pieces are there, but but the detail isn't there until I start writing it. Now there are sometimes when sorry this is going long, but no, sometimes it's fine. there are sometimes when in my outline I will um, I will have a sketch of a miniature scene that includes the dialogue, um, and other times I will have the something bad happens here advances character. Right. BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Maryland. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code OLDLINE150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Maryland today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Maryland only. 
New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days from issuance. Please play responsibly. For help, visit mdgamblinghelp.org or call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM National Harbor. Promotional not available in Washington, D.C. All right, um, let's move on to um, Book of the Week. Howard? Book of the Week is by our good friend, uh, Larry Correa, who's uh, up for a Campbell. Um, yes. He's up for a Campbell. And, against uh, someone vote, else. Vote, vote against for him if else. you really have to, but <laughs> don't feel obligated. Well, you know, as we've, as we've talked about this before, um, Larry knows an awful lot about firearms and is a big, dangerous man, <laughs> but you know how to hide a body. I, yes. <laughs> I've written three books about the little creepy guy that takes down the big one, so... So I, now that we're done frightening you with this year's Campbell nominees, um, which also include uh, Saladin Ahmed and who else, Mary? Quick. Lev Grossman you, and Lauren Bukes. Lev, okay. Uh, fantastic field. But Larry's book, uh, Hard Magic, book one of the uh, Grim, Noir, Grim Noir Chronicles, um, is uh, urban fantasy set in the 20s, set in the roaring 20s. Awesome stuff. Uh, go to audiblepodcast.com slash excuse kick off a 14-day free trial membership and, uh, it, and Larry's books book. I just I just have to plug this just a little more his books are so fun just fun start to finish so yeah. many, he you can tell he's just laughing his head off as he writes them with the you know the freedom to throw in every cool idea he can think of and you self-published writers he was self-published um, did it all himself. He's a person, if you um, find them at a con, you can talk to him about the, the gritty details of And then was offered a contract and took it. And, and took jumped. It happily, and you can ask so. him why. Um, so, all right. Um, here's a tough one. How do you patch plot holes? Does anyone want to tackle this? How do you patch plot, plot holes? holes? Usually wow. I have to back up because I've had this happen. Okay. Luxury. Uh, <laughs> 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 you can retcon. Yeah. No, you you had just you just have to patch them later on. Yeah. yeah. But usually when there's a plot hole, it's because I haven't laid the groundwork earlier, mm-hmm. and so I'll just go back and put the gun on the mantle. Um, and it depends on the type of plot hole, but most of the time it's just fixing the groundwork in an earlier scene. Yeah, and that's you know though I will say plot holes can force you to be creative. Yes. Mm-hmm. Because there are times where you realize there's a plot hole that is fundamental to the structure of the book that you're building, and you have to go back and say, wow. How can I have this situation with this other situation that is the core of the book? And neither of these are ones I want to cut. Can I make this, rearrange this in a new way that works um, really well? And they can be some of the best things. Yeah, I really think that a lot of the things we love about books come from authors who have been stuck in that position and been forced to come up with a cool solution to it. That's, now, let's that's actually part of yeah. why I think people like Schlock Mercenary is that <laughs> I start writing and find plot holes immediately, and I can't go back right. and fix it. I have to justify it in a it's way that's not really a squid. <laughs> well, <laughs> one of the most famous examples of this is Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, mm. and according to the uh, the annotated script, Douglas Adams was convinced that they were going to be canceled, and so he threw them out of an airlock so he would have a big finish. And then they weren't. Really? Yeah. That's wow. And he had to invent the infinite improbability drive to, in order to k- keep the series going. That is awesome. You know, and depending on at which point you catch the, the, the plot hole, it really can inform what you're doing. Yeah. You know, if it's an already finished manuscript that you or your writing group or somebody says, uh-oh, what about this? Then it's, you know, you're a little more constrained and it's going to take a lot of extra work. 
Whereas if you're halfway through or you're in the outline stage and you at that point realize you have a hole, you, you can patch it in a completely different way. All right. Um, Kath Schaefer asks, and this is a question we've answered before, so I'll toss it to you, Mary. How do you come up with names? People ask this. It's got to be one of the most frequent questions that we get. How do you come up with your names in your books? People seem to really dislike this. How do you do it? Um, knowing that I write historicals a lot, mm -hmm. one of the things that I do is I look at the period. Uh, if, for instance, I'm working in 1907 now, my character is 24, so I look at the popular names in 1880. Okay. Um, and then I come up with a uh, database and usually try to make sure that none of my characters have the same uh, first letter. Right. Um, but a lot of times it is, it's a, ooh, that sounds good and it feels good in my mouth. Howard, have you ever answered this one? How do you come up with the names? Because you've got a lot of wacky names. Um, yeah, if they're, I'm taking more care than I used to. And often I would just look around my desk at, for a thing <laughs> and mix up, you know, jumble the letters. <laughs> then came the evil robot paper clipatron. <laughs> it's, I, and I, as I'm saying, I take a little more care than I used to. Um, you know, Jevy Sita was named after the fact that the first thing I saw was my old JVC stereo. Um, and, and so that's what I named her. But uh, uh, now I will look at uh, well, the, the first thing I do is, uh, you know, I, the consonant check, you know, they can't begin with the same name or same letter. Uh, I want to avoid too many similar syllables. Um, when I'm naming aliens, I've started looking at, uh, you know, what is it that those aliens are interested in? You know, they have a language, they have a culture. Um, where do the names come from? Uh, and, and, then I, and then I draw, and then I draw parallels into English. Um, and now I can't think of any examples of that. It's fun. I love naming things. I love coming up with new character names. I also have a, a really great tool called the Ever-Changing Book of Names, okay. uh, which is software that you can download on your computer. And it's a name generator. It was created for uh, gaming. But the thing that is beautiful about it is that you can plug in your own list of names, and it will generate stuff. Um, yeah. You can also, if you say, um, let's say that I want something that feels vaguely Icelandic, yeah. There's a database of Icelandic names, and it will combine the names based on the syllables, based on the, con the conventions of names in that culture, and will come up with something that sounds Icelandic but isn't actually, oh, which is cool. fantastic for secondary that's, world stuff. That's, what was Great. that called again? Ever-Changing Book of Names. Ever-Changing Book of Names. There's your tool right there. All you yeah. people who are asking this, go get that. We'll, we'll try to link that in the liner notes. Never going to get asked that question again. <laughs> All right, here's, um, here's a fantastic one um, that's going to be a little harder for us. Do you guys have one writing skill that you want to be much better at? Let's each pick one if we can do Ooh. it. I can start because I've, I've been able to prepare by looking at these. Um, right now, the thing I think I would like to be better at is subtlety. Um, I look at the great masters of writing in the genre and see that they, they're able to do just be fantastically subtle. Robert Jordan with his foreshadowing is incredibly subtle. Some writers with their emotion are just very, very subtle. And I sometimes worry that I'm throwing bricks at people um, with, with a lot of my writing. Um, and so I'd like to learn to be more subtle. I'll jump in next. Uh, one thing that I'm actively trying to develop in myself is uh, the ability to write multiple viewpoints and larger stories. Um, mm. I've been, you know, I got my start with these 
very short first-person thrillers, very straightforward plots. And uh, I'm working on trying to, you know, write books that have, you know, three or four subplots, you know, more complicated stories than I have written before. And so that's what I'm working on right now. Um, I want to learn to write prose. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, writing comics is so dang easy. Uh, the, because I get to draw pictures instead of the descriptions. And, um, and the few times I have sat down to write descriptions and have realized, wow, so I've got this picture. I've got a whole. I got. I've got the whole room in my head. Um, how much of it do I really want to give the reader? How much? You know. How do I? What words am I going to use to describe this particular texture of brick? And is it really important? Well, somebody's head's going to get dashed against it, so it might be. But I don't want to give you guys the end of the story. <laughs> Mary, do you have anything? This is kind of putting you on the spot. So if um, you want to pass, we no, can there, pass. No, there are two things. Uh, one is. Um, one is that I, I think that my narrative structures are fairly conventional, and I would love to be able to write things that were more experimentally mm. structured. Um, the other one that I am actively working on is um, actually sitting down and writing every day, is mm. consistency about writing, um, which is, I think, a skill that is uh, kind of the foundation of everything else. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm, I am such a procrastinator. <laughs> okay. Um, why don't we do one more? Um, I've actually got another one for you, Mary, if you're okay. Yeah. I'm going to toss you um, writing groups. We've talked, we did an entire podcast on writing groups um, and another one on alpha readers and beta readers. Mm -hmm. um, so the person who's asking, that we, in our archive, you can look for writing groups. But Mary, quickly, what are your, what's your take on writing groups? I love them. Not all writing groups are created equal. Uh, and I think you have to be careful about the group that you sign up with, that you know what you want out of it and that you are actually getting it, and to be not afraid to quit if it's not serving your needs. Um, I'm in two writing groups. Uh, one is in person, and the other used to be in person, but I Skype in. Okay. Um, and I think they're fantastic. Okay. Let's go ahead and um, take us out there. We had two writing prompts. Uh, one was ridiculously silly. Intercontinental um, ballistic hairball. Um, I was going to say um, Dan has to um, save the world or someone has to save the world using a keyboard that is in the wrong <laughs> format. Somehow the letters got completely arranged um, randomly and go from there with rearranged random letters. Someone has to save the world from an intercontinental ballistic hairball using the wrong computer layout. Oh boy. <laughs> Even I'm... the wrong operating system. Oh yeah. I'm sorry. <laughs> and this has been writing excuses you're out of excuses now go write if you aren't familiar with locus magazine they're a long-standing and respected website magazine archive and resource for science fiction fantasy and horror basically they're the industry magazine for our genre they also run the annual locus awards a top-tier award that recognizes new diverse and excellent voices in speculative fiction they tell the storytellers' stories through author interviews, book reviews, curated reading lists, international industry news, obituaries, and more. Locus has meant a lot to me, both personally and professionally. In my career, I've been interviewed by them, and I've also turned to them as a source of understanding who is involved in the industry. Locus is holding their annual fundraising drive to keep their doors open, lights on, and future bright. I'll be contributing to their crowdfunding campaign by donating a cutscene, some original art, and a couple of other things like, do you want to do a one-on-one -on -one chat with me? 
So join me in supporting Locus. 